welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is sponsored by our partners at CleverTap Gaming. CleverTap Gaming is the all-in-one platform that enables game studios and publishers to create personalized player experiences. It's the only solution that provides a real-time understanding of player actions and integrates lifecycle marketing, live ops, and remote configuration into a holistic experience. In other words, you can maximize engagement, retention, and monetization through real-time segmentation and targeted offers, and you can run live ops campaigns with A-B testing, push notifications, in-app messaging, and much more. To discover how CleverTap Gaming can best serve your games team, simply visit clevertap.com gaming or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and today I'm excited to welcome a new guest onto the show. Akash Nigam is founder and CEO of Genies the leading avatar technology company, empowering humans to create their own avatar experiences. Naturally, on the Novik Gaming Podcast, our driving force is to better understand the future of games. However, sometimes that future intersects with other big ideas. And avatars and the role they do and ultimately will play across digital ecosystems and virtual worlds is one of those big ideas. And there may not be anyone better than Akash to help us break down where this future is headed, how Genies sits in the middle of it, and how we too can best prepare for the next wave. So without further ado, Akash, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and kickstart the convo with just some quick introductions for those listening who may not be familiar with you. Um, and so to start, could you just maybe tell us about your journey pre-Genies and then what ultimately led to the genesis of Genies itself? Totally. Yeah, it's a kind of loaded question because there's so many different... I mean, it's been... It's actually been quite some time. Uh, before Genies, I was in college, right? Um, like my entire life been been trying to optimize the way that people can socially interact on the internet or any prevalent medium of communication at that, at that time. Um, and so was, you know, was gangbusters in the very beginning when the app store first hit the market and was trying to come out with different apps that could optimize the way that people could build relationships online. And all the apps suck, truthfully. Um, <laughs> like we would try, we would, we would sacrifice an entire year, our school year, the summer, and maybe have a little bit more. And we'd release, we'd release the app and get like 10, 15, 20 users. Um, it was really early on though. Like this is actually back when I was in high school. Um, and so like, I mean, you're learning, you get humbled super early on and then you get into college, you get a little bit smarter over time too. Um, and then finally there was one app that actually ended up working. It was a college exclusive social network with a few e-commerce gimmicks here and there. And it was my senior year when I was at Michigan. Um, I had eight credits left and decided to drop out and pursue a full time, uh, dropped out with a couple of buddies. And it actually did quite well. We ended up getting an acquisition offer for the company, but we didn't really want to work at that respective company for the next four years. Is not why we dropped out of school and so forth. And um, you know, this is around, as you mentioned earlier, this is around like seven seven years ago or so. 
Um, and so like when, you know, when you're still in like your, your early, like young, young twenties, like whatever, I was like 22 years old or so, um, you know, you're, you're, you're trying, you're trying to take as much risk as possible. And so something we became really, really excited about was getting away from video and text and audio and really obsessing around the power and the potential of an avatar as a method of communication, not as a profile picture, not as a sticker, not as a, a video animation, but really something that people can leverage to showcase their inner self and then use it to build like-minded connections and deepen their relationships. And so we started that journey, you know, seven years ago, and you only have so many resources to be able to create uh, X large of a bet. And so our bet has increased over time. Uh, we've definitely changed paths a couple, a couple of times, but our founding principles and really our founding philosophy around the significance of an avatar has never wavered. Um, and so right now we're in our biggest and most ambitious bet yet, but it's also when we've had the most traction and we have the most momentum behind us as well. So yeah, it's been, I mean, before, I mean, I think the question was literally like, what have you done before genies? I'm sitting there. I'm like, I don't know. I was in like <laughs> computer. I was, I was in like Eeks 203 or something, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been our life's work and we're excited that it feels like we're just getting started still. Awesome. Well, there's a couple threads that, that you just said there that I'll pull on throughout this episode, but I guess first, just as one fellow entrepreneurial dropout to another nice job, um, congrats on the path that you've done, <laughs> uh, you pulled off so far. I know it's, it's hard and weird to do that. Um, sometimes you did um, it too. But I did, um, more to get it nice. in the investing world than even, um, just a startup, cool. but it took me, it took me a couple of years, but I'm, I'm here now. Um, but, but anyways, back, back to you with avatars. We'll talk about the evolution, um, in a second, but of course, over the years, Avatars aren't necessarily a new idea, and many avatar companies with different ways of approaching that market have come and gone. And so, I'm I'm just curious, why was Genies able to stick? And and some of those like earlier iterations, like uh, like what did you do uniquely or differently, or just tap into the zeitgeist in some way to ensure that Genies was the one or one of the one of those companies to to kind of stick that landing and create the foundation to give you something to build off of. I think like one thing that we've always remained consistent with is being very disciplined to our North Star vision. Um, it's easy to get distracted by shiny things and have like short-term wins, but you're immediately decreasing the ceiling threshold by doing that and succumbing to, um, you know, like immediate interest versus like maybe what your initial long set vision was. Um and so I think like Genius has always cared about an avatar being a method of communication. You'll probably hear me say that like 10,000 times. And what I mean by that is that we're obsessed with trying to allow people to use an avatar to feel more present in any given moment. Like when you look at a history of methods of communication, whether it was text in the very beginning via like email or uh, then came the mobile phone and it was audio and then came FaceTime and Zoom, which is like visual. Um, all of those different components are methods of communication that try to make you feel like you're more present with the person in the room. And each method of communication emanates new information about that person that you couldn't get from the, uh, from, from, from the preceding method of communication. Um, and so we think an avatar is just all three of those on steroids. And it adds a fantastical component to it as well. Um, and because we remain so disciplined towards that and we didn't like, you know, succumb to let's become a profile pick SDK or let's become, um, you know, let's just create like a ton of different sticker packs. And, you know, like we were, we, we were, we, we've been obsessed with not just saying the right things, but actually acting on the saying. So like 
expressing your inner self versus via your avatar has become like the thing that everybody says. And 99% of the time when a big conglomerate is saying that, they're actually not executing on it and they don't even know what the fuck they're saying. Um, I think like it just becomes like kind of like this media go-to statement. Whereas we actually sit there, we're like, okay, what does inner self actually mean? Well, an inner self might mean like thoughts. Who are they thinking about? What are they thinking about? How are they feeling? Okay, outside of just expressing yourself and accessorizing your avatar uh, fantastically, how can we gather that information? And so if you look at our use cases throughout the years, it's been really trying to chip away at that at that core nerve. And so because we've done that, I think all of our traction that we've received they can sense the authenticity in the vision. And I feel like they can also sense it whenever they're, inter- uh, they're interacting with our product. It's different in nature because there's no precedent set for each attempt that we're making. It's not like all of our attempts work, right? But at least we're trying something unique and different and trying to really realize the full potential of an avatar versus just copying what somebody else is doing on, on um, industry already. Mm. And for what it's worth, I was able to pick up on some of that authenticity, even just preparing for this podcast and reading through, you know, the genie's blog and just different things on your website, because it's not, you know, mired in the metaverse hype or, you know, blockchain Mm -hmm. hype or something like that. It is very focused on like what your core um, mission is, I guess. um, Next, um, you don't have to walk us through all of the iterations of genies, but I'm curious, maybe if you could just kind of talk about like maybe some of the the highlights or milestones along the way, ultimately up to maybe just describing what exactly is Genie's business today? What's going, what are you up to right now? Yeah. So when we first start, it's actually funny because each time, like, you know, we probably changed paths like twice. If I change paths, it normally means like we actually realize that we've, you know, we, because we receive the traction that we get maybe in step one, and then we're able to unlock more resources from that step. We're like, Oh shit. Now we can actually try the big idea from all of this that we didn't have the resources to do in the first place, right? So it's kind of all stepping stones. But we started off with something really, really... I mean, when we're like four people in a WeWork, we started off with something really rudimentary, which was um, being able to use your avatar to be able to um, um, correlate it with any type of big moment in your life that you care about. And that came in the form of like news or culture or gossip. Um, So it was kind of like a... uh, Real time, it was like a real time reaction to anything. Your, your avatar would react in real time to anything that was happening in the world that you cared about. So, like, if I care about the Niners, which I do a lot, <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if my genie is rigged and it's, and it's, and it's DNA is rigged to, to evolve based on how the Niners are doing. Um, this is before we had AIGC. So, we're doing everything with like an artist crowdsource platform. This is back in like 2017. Um, your avatar would react. Uh, would react both physically and then also um, with verbiage based on how they were doing. Um, so that was like the first iteration we ended up doing really well within college. That actually ended up being like our breakout moment. Before that, like we did, we were just kind of like playing with a few ideas and nothing caught, caught traction. Um, following that shortly, we were still based in San Francisco, but we would make visits to LA quite often because a lot of celebrities were hitting our press link, being like, hey, we've been seeing all these like avatars on social media can we get an avatar? And like one of the first people that asked us for one was Offset from Migos. And we're just four or five people. And we were actually looking at it as like a marketing uh, a marketing potential where we're like, oh, Offset wants an avatar? Yeah, let's just custom create him one. And then maybe he'll post on his Instagram. And sure enough, he did. And when he did do that, you know, he was dating Cardi. So then Cardi DM'd us. was like, oh my God, I want an avatar. And then so did like, you know, like a thousand other people. And so all of a sudden, like, you know, you're kind of, it's, it's a classic situation where you like release a product and you have, 
you know, one, one cohort leveraging your product in the way that you had initially anticipated. But then you have another group of individuals that you didn't anticipate at all starting using it in a way that you weren't really imagining, but it's still hitting the same core nerve, which is expressing their authentic self. And so celebrities anyways, like this became like our second component of the business and really like a driving force of the business at one point. Um, celebrities would get custom avatars created and we created uh, a way for them to also create custom content to be able to post their avatar featured on TikTok or Instagram um, and Snapchat. And the, the the way that they were leveraging the avatar was pretty unique. It was... Um, it, two main themes. One was to accomplish being in two places at once. If they didn't want to like go to a brand shoot or they didn't want to show up, they didn't want to like go and like pursue a music video or they didn't want to like, uh, uh, they wanted to do like some type of like partnership or something like that. They would leverage their avatar to do so. And the avatar for, for a lot of the time was actually like performing just as well as the physical human themselves. So it became like a win-win for both like the partners and then also the avatars too. Um, so that was like one, one main way. And then the second, the second way was if it wasn't anything to do with like with a commercial deal, they would leverage the avatar to showcase the side of their personality that their physical self was incapable of doing. So like, you know, a lot of these celebrities have to put up a very specific persona throughout the day, uh, or, or sorry, throughout the year, because that's what fans have fallen in love with. But a lot of the time that's actually not their authentic self. And so they use an avatar as almost a vehicle to be able to showcase that side of their personality and their fans would fall in love with that persona too. Um, and then finally, like, you know, the celebrity, I mean, the celebrity uh, angle was like our driving force up until even today, um, where we ended up signing partnership with UMG and WMG to become the official avatar and digital goods provider for every single celebrity underneath those umbrellas. We partnered with the NFLPA, the MLBPI, and the MBPA too. Um, and we had a dominant, we, we, I mean, we still have a dominant force within the celebrity avatar, um, um, marketplace. That being said, like, you know, we've reached, like, we reached the kind of like, this like ceiling with celebrities where we're like, we're not even ceiling. It's like, we put the check mark on it. We're like, okay, we have that business nailed this in quote unquote machine mode, but the true North star of this business has never been just to cater to celebrities. It never was even part of the plan. Um, we want every single human on earth to be able to leverage an avatar. And so it brings me to what we are today. Um, the creator business and the celebrity business still exists and it's doubling down, but we've been able to afford the resources to really do the consumer angle right. Um, and what that means is a couple of things. Um, one, and we just announced this three weeks ago, we released a developer kit that allows people to be able to create their own avatar experiences. But we don't want the avatar experiences to be like different temple run renditions, right? Like I think like profile pick SDK things. Like we want to make sure that we set the right precedent. So we're releasing an avatar social network later this year, which is going to be a culmination of all these avatar experiences that people end up making that draw for um, one main purpose, which is people being able to participate in these experiences or mini games to then, uh, which will then inform them what their mood is at any given point via their avatar. So you can almost think of this being like a mood horoscope, but shown through your avatar based on the different actions that you're taking throughout the day. Like these mini games are almost like personality test disguised as mini games, if that makes sense. Um, and then we're also, um, um, the, 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 the avatar framework that we've created um, over the past two years, which for everybody that's listening here, I feel like this is going to be like the audience that probably understands this the quickest. You know, anybody that's a developer creating a game hates creating an avatar system. It's quite cumbersome. It's annoying. And you don't ever create like an avatar system that's at the, at the um, quality that you would expect. And all these um, games are walled gardens, right? None of them are interoperable. What we've done is we've created a character framework that we're now giving out on a selective basis to different game studios 
that allows that can accommodate any type of avatar art style, any type of aesthetic, and any type of um, and any type in general. So whether it's a dog, a cat, an ogre, a human, um, it doesn't really matter. Our rigging system uses ML to predict how wearables can be transferred from one avatar to the next, and how it can interact in each respective environment too. And so that means that all assets are interoperable. That means that all avatars are all, all also interoperable between environments and that the accessories that they're wearing are interoperable amongst each other. So it's kind of like the statement, like everything works with everything. Uh, and so we hope that different gaming studios will be able to leverage our character framework in order to power all of their games moving forward, which one should save them time in building out games, but then two, it should yield a higher revenue potential because then you have a persistent identity that people have a higher propensity um, to spend money on. That's a really interesting answer. A lot to un- unpack in that. And so maybe I'll take this in <laughs> a couple directions. Um, first, maybe even just to to throw a quote out there from a previous Genie's blog post, uh, your team wrote, quote, avatars, fashion, spaces, experiences, the four pillars of an mm-hmm. avatar ecosystem, all custom designed and created by the owner, you using the tools provided us. And so maybe a couple questions with this. Um, first, can you just help me better visualize what you mean by avatar ecosystems? Like, what does that mm-hmm. look like? And why are those the four pillars? You know, if we really want Genius to be a method of communication, you kind of have to figure out like when does an avatar realize its fullest potential. And we've always been seven. If you look at our documentation, we're back in 2016 and 17. It's like our bet has always been going down this path for when avatars will be used um, in an AR medium of communication. And so everything that's happening with the Vision Pro um, kind of like sets that trend into reality. Um, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight, but. And we can get into Apple later, but there's extreme conviction, at least internally from our space, that that is going to be the inevitable future. And we need, we need to start acting on that right now. And so when you think about how people are going to... Let's make the assumption that everybody is wearing these Vision Pro goggles, right? Or headsets. Um, the way that you interact with people in, in, in more of like the social use cases or the gaming use cases, which Apple's never going to go on stage and be like, and you're a hundred out of the gates and say like, Here's a computing device. Also, here's a hundred games that you guys can create. You know, when Apple first introduced the iPhone, the two examples they showed on stage were, I think it was like the flashlight and the calculator. They never talked about all the games that were to come and they didn't talk about the app store, but you could read through the tea leaves and be like, okay, this is what you can do. And they want to crowdsource cool from everybody else. Right. And so we believe that we can actually be the reason why kids and culture end up using things like the Vision Pro, depending on the use cases that are produced. And so these use cases are all avatar ecosystems. They're kind of like the mini apps of the future, right? So like, depending on, you know, the way that I show up um, from one experience to the next or one use case to the next has to have some type of profile, right? Like if web one was about a username and web two introduced a profile, we think the future of the internet, which is always dictated by this computing device. So like whenever uh, AR glasses or MR glasses come into market, we think that the avatar is going to be the new username. An avatar has to show up with something. So it shows up with fashion or accessories. They show up somewhere. So it's an avatar space. And then you're going to do something in that space. And that's the experience. That's the use case, right? So like, if you look at all four of those components, it kind of creates these almost like mini avatar worlds, which we believe are going to be the mini apps of the future. Mm, gotcha. Uh, and then second, you you mentioned how your team is not just building avatars or partnering with celebrities on collections, et cetera, but actually building 
tools and development kits that enable other people, developers, and users to level up their avatar game, so to speak. Um, and so maybe we can double down on that for for a moment. Could you just break down what tooling and infrastructure is needed to make your avatar ecosystems possible? And where where are we in that journey? You mentioned um, you know augmented reality, but what about all of the the other stuff that's needed too? Yeah, so our dev kit are the tools, right? So like there's different level of tools. It's like we obviously provide you the tools to be able to create your avatar. We provide you with the tools for a non-technical user to actually create avatar fashion. That's like one of our most popular use cases today. But then we just rolled out our dev kit, which should allow anybody um, with even like minimal technical experience to be able to create um, an effective avatar experience to start. Um, the tool, the, the, the dev kit really has like three main components to start. Um, number one is a character framework itself that allows for, again, like I said, like an assimilation of all different types of avatars and aesthetics. Um, number two, it comes with a genie's AI trainer, which is able to train all the different respective avatars to have personalities and personas that can act autonomously um, and be able to interact with people and develop like very specific relationships. So a lot of the use cases that uh, are deriving very specific personality traits about the person require some type, not even require, it's something that uh, developers have found very interesting is including some type of AI agent. Um, and then finally is the XR compatibility tech. So the dev kit comes with um, a suite of those features in order to make sure that these are things that not just exist on mobile today, but can also transition and work well in any type of MR, uh, in any type of um, MR headset too. Um, why is XR such a big deal? For avatars, avatars have been around in many forms um, over the internet um, for a long time. What about XR unlocks some type of use case or more central source of identity that will make this technology or idea more powerful in the future? Well, I think like it's. You know, it's like one thing for an avatar to be like a static pose as a profile on like a Web2 social platform like, you know, Facebook back in the day. And I think that added value back when we were at that phase in time. But considering where we're moving, I feel like an avatar is able to emanate certain information through movement, through gestures, and through um, and through assimilation with the real world, the physical world around you that you can't quite get. Uh, in 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 a very static 2D format, right? So I think like the, the the added element of 3D is helpful. I think the added element of also immersion into the real world adds a sense of um, reality to the avatar as well. Um, and then finally, I do feel like you know there's a huge. It's it's almost asking a question of like, what's the difference between like FaceTime with you versus you sending me a photo? And I would say like, well, you can send me a photo and you can put text behind it, and that's like one interpretation of the narrative. But if you're moving and you have voice and you're talking and you're able to like show different aspects and different contexts and background to what's happening in your life, you're going to get more added information from that narrative too. So I think there's going to be a whole another dimension that you're going to get from an avatar being in front of you. And the fact that it can be fantastical as well, I think it makes it really, really interesting. Gotcha. And and also, like this is timely to talk about too, because as you mentioned, Apple recently unveiled its Vision Pro. Meta also recently you know, announced its Quest 3. And, you know, both of those products, there might be others, but both of those products as the two leading contenders in the, you know, the XR race, 
they share similarities and differences in vision and maybe who it seems they want their audience to be. Um, I'm curious, when you saw what was unveiled, the different visions and technical capabilities of what these devices are trying to be, did that change your view at all about like your path to making avatars work? Did it spark new ideas? I'm just curious to get your reaction. When you saw what the actual hardware is going to be, how did you think uh, differently uh, maybe about how avatars would fit into that changing world? I think it just gave us further conviction around the around the path that we've been been on for years, right? And I think it gave us conviction in a lot of our theses that were initially theories, but now like we can we can kind of make them facts. Um, you know, we're not banking on the current Vision Pro headsets to be something that's going to get widely adopted. Uh, we do feel like it's a signal that you know Apple's not going to come out with something like that, use the the extreme vernacular that they did, and then randomly recoil and shut down the project in a year. Like this is going to be their way of beta testing and researching to then inform their long-term strategy of what's going to be the day-to-day usage of some type of AR glass in the future. Um, I think like watching like the keynote, it kind of goes back to my initial point where it's like, they are never going to be the ones to say like, and this is, these are the exact use cases that are going to onboard culture. They're always going to, I mean, they have the most powerful, dynamic, and largest developer community in the world that's extremely passionate about building on their hardware. Why would they be the deciders of what's cool? Um, at the end of the day, in my mind, like, if you look through the history of time, like any new method of communication, any new platform, or any new computing device, um, not com- computing device, when it hit its inflection point, is always popularized by culture. And culture always equals youth. And when you look at what the youth cares about, from, and it's been timeless, and in my opinion. It really boils down to these very basic factors. Um, the youth cares about, one, looking unique or looking dope. So like whatever dope means to them or like unique means to them. Uh, number two, they care about friends. They want to make friends. They want to hang out with friends. Three, they care about intimate relationships, girlfriend, boyfriend, partner. And then four, they just don't want to be bored. Those are like, if I look, if I think back when I was like 16, 17, 18, like those are the four things I only cared about, like those general categories, right? And so what the, what each advancement of the internet does is it makes those four things more accessible and it solves those problems considering whatever the context of that internet era is. And so, um, and, and, and all the stats back that up, right? Like if you go to Sensor Tower and you look at like some of the most like popular apps in the very beginning, they kind of fell underneath like, entertainment uh, hobbies and like mini games like everybody on this like in this community like can relate to that every single new computing device starts with like some type of like new mini game um and so like what was very apparent from the from the keynote was apple i mean apple partnering with unity is one indication of 3d assets but then also their desire to bring games to the platform because they want culture to onboard onto um onto their headsets at one point or to any other future computing devices and they know that when they get culture on board that the rest will follow and culture in the past has always cared about interacting with fun social experiences and social mini games right and so any of these social mini games or social experiences are going to require anything that's social and interactive as a mini game that's a fantastical a prerequisite is an avatar and so we hope to be the avatar provider for the avatar ecosystem or the avatar game uh, provider for, for Vision Pro in a really big way. So we're starting on mobile today. We want to gain traction on mobile today with some of these experiences. And our, and our Silver Studio has a, is our first one that's doing quite well amongst a very specific Gen Z female demo. Um, but we're expanding that throughout the year, especially with the developers that we're onboarding right now in the college demographic. 
um, so that they could it can serve as a strong stepping stone for when Vision Pro becomes available. Is there any unique behaviors that you're seeing from a Gen Z audience um, that maybe surprised you uh, that you think could be interesting to the the gaming world? You know, like what we're doing is like we're kind of extrapolating what's been prevalent in gaming for decades, right? Like avatars and digital goods and like interacting with online personas and introducing it to maybe like the non-gaming, but yet still center of culture community, right? So like this hardcore female, I would say like not, it's like non-heart, it's more like casual gaming demographic that's currently interacting with our first experience, which is called Silver Studio. It's all about creating and exchanging fashion amongst avatars and seeing their relationship with the avatar as like an alter as an alter ego is not something new right like i've, I've we've just seen that throughout history and in, 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 in all different types of gaming environments the difference is that uh you know maybe like 20 years ago gaming was actually not considered the cool thing it was it, it wasn't right it was like gaming was considered more of like um like, you know, there was, it, it wasn't as widespread as it was. And it definitely wasn't like the the cool thing in town per se. It was just like, oh yeah, people are gamers. And there's like a certain reputation that's associated with them just by society. That's changed dramatically, right? It's like today, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're like a pro gamer or like just, first of all, it's become far more widespread. The interpretation, the definition of gaming has changed quite a bit too. It's become far more expansive and I think also the interpretation, the reputation that the concept of gaming has, has also become very, very positive. Um, and so with that in mind, like, I feel like the introduction of avatars, which maybe 20 years ago, if you try to introduce avatars to center of culture, it would be rejected. That's things like Second Life, for example. It was like Second Life. It's, I mean, like, there's so many different renditions of Second Life that are happening today. But the, the the clientele and the usage of Second Life was a very specific demographic, which is not very similar to the demographic that's leveraging platforms like that in today's world. So um, I don't know if there's like any exact learnings other than the fact that it's like, you know, some of these gaming behaviors can actually be introduced to like general Gen Z in like a pretty, and, 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 they'll, and they'll be more receptive than ever before. I think some things to be like wary of. It's like sometimes I think like avatar platforms or gaming platforms screw up where they try to prioritize like you meeting strangers too quickly. And I feel like what that ends up creating is this concept that we denoted as a like creepy man syndrome where like you get into a platform and it's like not, it's not the vibe. And so like just prioritizing close friends that you actually know in the real world first and then expanding it to like new friends over time, I think is like the right strategy. So I think that's like one of like the biggest learnings that we've that we've been able to uncover. Mm, that makes sense. And that's well put. Um, slightly tangential, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but over the past couple of years, or at least in uh maybe it was a blog post I read that was from two years ago, um, Genius has taken on more of a web three tone and has talked about or alluded to just the power of ownership. And so maybe you can kind of uh Help help me even frame the best way to ask this, but what what drove you in that direction, and what what does user ownership look like and unlock for both the avatar economy and for genies specifically? Yeah, so I think this, I think this kind of goes back to one of the initial points that you brought up too, which was this is a classic situation where genies could have benefited from a short term craze. 
and decided to not, right? And I remember getting a lot of backlash from that for both the cap table, like investors, and then also like internally, it was kind of like, hey, should we do this? Like, and the question was, you know, we could have done like the biggest NFT drop ever, right? Like we could have gotten all of our celebrities on board. We had all the IP, we had the art resource to go, art resources to go ahead and create a hundred million dollar drop at its peak for sure. <clears throat> and we decided against it because we're like, all right, we put a hundred million bucks on the balance sheet. Now what? It's like, did that help us? Did that help our long-term vision of introducing this for everybody? Or are we just taking it, taking advantage of a vulnerable uh, liquidity pool? And so, you know, when we were when we were going down and exploring what blockchain meant to us, it actually was before the whole craze. Like I had I had met Roham, who's the CEO of Dapper Labs, um, many times beforehand. And what we wanted to introduce was the concept of being able to trade unique items that you would create via the fashion tools we provided. And in order to do that properly and be able to track provenance and for a user to be like, I got this, you know, this is something that Aaron had, like, you know, whatever, a hundred different like wares ago. And people have thrifted it since. And you can see like the thrifting history and so forth and like whatever. And to do it like properly, we were like, oh, like maybe this should all be on blockchain. And maybe like eight months after that, it's like when... I forget, it was like Nifty Gateway took off, the pandemic happened. So like we were talking with Rohan pre-pandemic. Um, we always made like an internal rule that we were going to quote unquote decentralize for whatever added value to our demographic um, that they could understand. So we weren't going to go ahead and like, you know, create these like epic, really interesting smart contracts that were like insanely technical just for the sake of being part of a trend. We're sitting there being like, it goes back to like, what does Gen Z want out of a platform? It's like, well, they want to make more money. They're like a hustler generation. They want to have influence over whatever the platform is going to do. Like they want to be able to have a voice, right? And so just looking at those two examples, we're like, okay, like if we gave them more ownership, they could do more shit and they could possibly earn more money with their avatar and their wearables. And then number two is we want them to have a say at the table of like, what is Genie's build out next? Like, what's the next tool that we're going to be able to provide? And we want them to have legit like voting power. And so, like, we, in, in, in in that vein, we wanted to introduce some qualities of a DAO. So, you know, I always hated it. Like, I mean, like when you look at the PR and probably quotes in the past too. Like, anytime that we were called a metaverse company, or a metaverse is my least favorite word by far. Um, okay. It always has been because I feel like it has. Bra- I think it's brain. I think it was like you. It, it, it was a word that brainwashed people to think about the future so myopically versus like just thinking about like the clear trends that were happening, which are like AI, AR and blockchain. I still have full belief in blockchain. Um, and, and, and I didn't like when people called us an NFT company, right? Cause we're sitting there being like, we never, pri- we, we, when we made everything in NFT, which till this day, they are still NFTs. Kids are interacting with our wearables and our avatars as NFTs, but Things are priced the same way that they would be priced in any game. They're like $5, $10, $15. We're prioritizing the use case over the monetary outcome. Um, and so like, I think ownership, ownership has been valuable to the user because they feel... you know, Right now, Gen Z gets really pissed off from pl- like places like Instagram or TikTok or YouTube where they're realizing that they're the reason why the platform runs. It's a crowdsourced user platform. But they don't make any money. They get ripped off like crazy and the conglomerate owns all of their shit. We took the anti-meta approach where we're like, look, this is all about you. You own your avatar and its assets. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, 
And we want to make sure that you feel comfortable that this is a user-first platform. And so that branding has actually gone a really long ways. And I think that power that they have has gone a long ways too. So they feel like even though it's a crowdsourced community, it's a community that they can uh, influence quite a bit. And that brings us back to interoperability to some degree too, which has also always been a topic in the games industry, but has come to light again in a bigger way alongside the whole Web3 push. and. I guess what what people are realizing, again, is that interoperability is hard and that even though, you know, there are really powerful underlying ideas to it. And it's easy to see how in the case of avatars, being able to take your digital self and put it in lots of different environments, that's an incredibly powerful idea. But there are also very thorny technical limitations, at least to the way that many people think about or dream about interoperability. So earlier in this conversation, you you quickly hit on um, how you are thinking about interoperability and kind of it seems like building the tools from the ground up to kind of create almost like a starting point of interoperability and giving other teams the ability to kind of take what you do and integrate it and then let it let that spread around in different places. But I, I'd maybe love for you to just talk a bit more about that. How like how do you how do you see interoperability with avatars um going over time? And then can you just unpack a bit more of like what exactly are you doing? Like what's the pitch to to um to like make that possible with with genies? So I'll give an example. Let's say we're talking to a company like Sega. Right. Sega's sitting there and they're like, okay, we're coming out with a shit ton of games. But every single time we have to come out with a game, we have to go through the art process of creating the characters. Then we have to go through the process of, um, of rigging those specific characters to the game. And it, it's a brand new system. Then we have to create the accessories that go along with it. And it's a very, it's a cumbersome process. And like typically you always have to make compromises on an avatar system because people don't realize how significant of an undertaking it can be if you want to create something that's special, right? And then you're limited to that art style and that confine within that environment. And then you build like, you know, Sega will release thousands and thousands of, uh, of, of games that are all walled gardens from the rest. What ideally we would do is that we give the time back to the developers and we say, hey, don't worry about the avatar system. We've created the character framework already so that as long as you just ingest a 3D model, our system knows how to ingest it and then make it work within your game and the next one and the one after that. And so we've used ML to be able to predict all these different art styles and aesthetics, all different shapes, sizes, and conforms, all the accessories that come along with it, and um, how to retarget animations from an ogre to a dog to a cat to a butterfly to a rock. It doesn't really matter, right? Um, and so we've staffed our team accordingly and really invested the time in order to make sure that the character framework can um, power thousands and thousands of games and different characters that now are not walled in their own ecosystems, but can travel from one game to the next. And like I said, it should result in a higher yield of revenue for the overall game publisher. In this case, it would be Sega because you have a persistent identity, right? So I think starting there is a really good starting block. It's like interoperable within like your own ecosystem. So we're not talking about being interoperable from like Roblox to Snapchat to TikTok to Google, all these like <laughs> dumb things that you've been reading in the media where you're like, why the fuck one would that add value to the user? And then two, like, you know, like, and then I think two, it's like you know meta is like yeah i want an interoperable world but i want everybody to conform to us and it's like you know you're just gonna have these big giants just kind of like saying the same thing back and forth to each other i think starting at this level is a really good way to like 
build strong brand, and then two, add tremendous value to a company or an entity that actually sees that value, right? You know, I'm glad I'm, I'm excited to be on a podcast like this because I feel like this this audience understands the complexities that come with an avatar system better than any other podcast, and also understands the value that it could potentially give if you're able to introduce something like this as well. Um, so when I talk about interoperability, that's what I mean. And then I guess like the pitch is quite easy, is quite simple. It's like one, save time and produce more games. Two, make more money from your games because of a persistent identity. Um, and that's it. And it's not just limited to game to 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 studios and publishers, right? It's like you can make the same argument for a content studio as well. Gotcha. Um, and clearly, you're thinking bigger than just games or fashion or you know name your your industry. Uh, but, but since we do have a video game audience that I think generally understands th- the power of virtual worlds and you know virtual avatars in those those worlds, um, I'm curious what your vision or expectation is for how avatars will maybe evolve or just play larger roles in gaming? You talked about your framework, but do you think there's anything else the games industry might still underrate when it comes to avatars or their potential? I think the potential of an avatar, like, look, like, at the end of the day, everything in life is a game, right? Like, it's like, if you define what a game is, it's like a game is, a game is like when a, person can participate in a set of rules to be able to accomplish something to get to the next level of propagation right so like you could argue in life like my career is a game uh my path to enlightenment is a game my and then there's like traditional games right like oh yeah playing fucking baseball or like whatever um so i just feel like the word game is like it's your whole life is a game so you might as well view every single experience as a game itself and if that's the case, like you're going to need something to be able to interact and participate in these games. And if this is going to be the new username, I think an avatar is super powerful. But we've talked so much, so far just about functionally what it can do from one ecosystem to the next. And we've talked about aesthetically around what the avatar can look like. But we haven't talked about the information that it could store over time too. And so I feel like AI is a really key component here, right? It's like the fact that we can start to most effectively start to store data within this agent that can then travel with you from one place to the next and eventually can maybe start doing tasks autonomously on your behalf too and get smarter over time, I think is super powerful, right? So like I think about, you know, just the same way that we talked about how any social interactive experience in AR requires an avatar, right? If it's a multiplayer experience and I'm in AR and it's interactive with my friends, like how are you going to show up? It's like an avatar is a prerequisite. I think you're going to see the same thing with AI where any autonomous AI application is going to require an avatar. Uh, one of the examples is like Ghostwriter, right? Like, I don't know if you saw that whole craze, but it's like, you know, in the very beginning when like uh, Ghostwriter dropped a song, it was a banger. It was like, you know, Drake and like a few other artists. And people were like, damn, this is sick. And they started following this account called Ghostwriter, which was just AI. And at what point, if like trends like that start to grow, which they will, then people are going to be like, I want to see Ghostwriter perform, or I want to interact with the persona of this uh, autonomous AI application. And in that case, again, an avatar is a prerequisite. It's like, okay, well, what is Ghostwriter going to look like? Is it going to be like a made-up thing? It's like, well, a made-up thing or a persona is going to be an avatar. Um, so I guess like, you know, I think those are like the three, just talking about it out loud, right? It's like, those are like the three things. It's like, functionally, what can it do from one game to the next or experience to the next? 
Um, two, aesthetically, how can it evolve from one experience to the next? And then three, what information could be stored in that agent from one experience to the next? Yeah, that's cool. We also talk of, we are starting to talk a bit more about too, just even like what else can NPCs be when AI is possible and you can let them have no, their own insane. personalities. They learn from the environment, their emergent properties. And of course, they're all wrapped in avatars too, right? As, as you're saying. So um, even beyond well, yeah, I mean, you can, our own individuals, there could be other versions out there. I mean, you can imagine, I mean, without revealing too much, and we're going to be making an announcement soon, like think about all the celebrity avatars and creator avatars that we currently have rigged and ready to go. And think about like what their priorities are. Their priorities are engaging with their fans in new ways, but they want to be able to develop a rule. If, if you ask, if you know, if you go to like, I don't know, like a random, like if you go to like Sean Mendez and you're like, Hey Sean, like if you had the ability to develop a unique relationship with your hundred million fans that you have, would you do it? He's like, yeah, but I'm limited physically in this situation, right? If you can like kind of put two and two together, that all of a sudden becomes a reality and it becomes really interesting for the fan base and also for the celebrity themselves. Gotcha. Well, we got to go ahead and start start wrapping up. So maybe I'll hit you with two final questions here. The first is just something we like to do occasionally, uh, which is <laughs> bold predictions. So as we close, I'm curious, do you have a bold prediction about avatars or the avatar economy for the next five to 10 years? Something else we didn't talk about today. Yeah, like I think like the big one is that like avatar ecosystems are going to be the new mobile apps. Um I do feel like the sooner that people can start interacting with avatars and learn and, and really focusing on those three pillars and to create an avatar, right? The definition of an avatar continues to evolve. As soon as people are able to like really comprehend its latest thinking, I feel like people will be able to wield it for really interesting and awesome use cases. So that's that's like one bold, bold assumption. That's also the the you know, that's the bet of the company. Right. <laughs> I mean it's it's still a very bold bet. I like it. Um, lastly, if anyone wants to follow either just you personally online or learn more about genies, where should they go? Instagram and TikTok. Okay. <laughs> just just <laughs> our good. It's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a Kosh Nigam and then genies. Okay, cool. That sounds great. Uh, well, listen, Akash, this was awesome. This conversation has been a blast. I do need to, to let you go, but um, thanks for for sharing your your vision and your insights with us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.